What is up, folks? It is me. It is me. It is Mr. Sensational, Gino Vega, coming to you, the tens of ones in listening audience, with a very special episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Folks, we are at very special episode 79 of the podcast. Episode 79 of the podcast. And if you're not familiar, and I don't know how you possibly couldn't be if you're listening, um, but if for some reason you have stumbled upon this podcast in the wild, the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast is in fact a show where I, a completely ordinary, average, middle-aged individual, plumb the depths of my soul, the recesses of my psyche, to uh, pull out that filament that can be threaded into some sort of content to discuss for more or less 30 minutes, give or take, once a week. And folks, we are here this week with yet Another 30 minutes worth of filament, I hope. I have no idea what um, this thread will consist of this time around because I haven't really given it any thought. I have simply sat down in front of the orange-colored blue snowball microphone, and we are going to see what happens. Um, One point of order. Is that the right way to say it? A point of order? I don't know. One thing to bring up in regards to the orange-colored blue snowball microphone. The orange-colored blue snowball microphone is a microphone that I use to record this show. It is the only microphone that I own. It is a USB microphone that one plugs into a computer. I purchased it now... Amazingly, many years ago, it seems like it was a year ago. It had to have been many, many years ago. It had to have been pre-2017. I can't remember exactly when, but I decided to take a stab at this podcasting thing. And um, as an aside, if you're not familiar with the trajectory of the Mr. Sensational Genovica podcast in its entirety, um, if I had been doing it continuously since its inception, we would be much further along than 79 episodes, but there was a multi-year break. But when the podcast was first conceived, I started doing it as part of the IC Robots Radio Network, and my initial vision of the show, if you've ever happened to catch any of the retro episodes that IC Robots puts in the rotation sometimes on weeks where I'm not able to produce a new episode of the show, um, originally I was not doing it on a regular schedule and thinking of it more as like a once a month thing. It was a little bit longer. I think the episodes were like an hour long. So if you if you come across some old episode from the vault and it seems incredibly ponderously long, it's because of the time the episodes were less frequent. Um, but in any case, I wanted to take a stab at this thing, and I asked IC Robots his recommendation for a microphone to use, and he steered me towards the Blue Snowball microphone brand, and I purchased one, and although it is a Blue Snowball, it just happens to be neon orange. I wonder, I don't know whether or not 
Icy Robot still uses a blue snowball microphone for his own podcasts, or if he has graduated or moved on to something else in the world of gear. I may have mentioned it on the show before, but I believe the next iteration up from the blue um, snowball microphone, um, blue is the brand, snowball is the model. I believe there is the blue Yeti microphone. The blue Yeti. I think it's actually Yeti, but I like to call it the Yeti because... Um, for those of you who, uh, well, I guess I, if, if you, if, for those of you who do follow professional wrestling, the history of professional wrestling, you probably already know this. So I guess this is more for those who don't. And very quickly, because I am going to spend a few moments talking about something wrestling related, I figure it's only fair to bring back a warning, a disclaimer from the days of yore, a little something that goes like this. <laughs> Warning! Warning! We are now going to talk about professional wrestling! Warning! Warning! Wrestling talk is about to begin! Warning! 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 We are about to enter a zone that may be difficult for the humorless and unimaginative. Please skip ahead five minutes if this applies to you. You have been warned. Yeah, that was a little bit from the days of yore when I was more inclined to talk about wrestling on a regular basis. Um... Not that the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast was ever um, a wrestling podcast. As a matter of fact, I guess I should should add this aside. My, eh, not so much anymore, because I've kind of gotten it out of my system. But if someone gave me the opportunity, they said you could podcast about anything in the world. Anything you'd like to talk about. Um, and people would listen to it. I would love to be a wrestling podcaster. I would love to talk about professional wrestling. I would love to do a wrestling podcast. The problem is it is a very oversaturated market. And I find myself in this position where on one hand, because I'd be perfectly happy with tens of ones listening to my wrestling thoughts. I don't need to be, you know, Dave Meltzer over here with like 10 billion listeners. But, um, I do have, I do have, and I'm thankful for the tens of ones that will listen to my podcast. But fate has decreed that the tens of ones that I'm able to reach with this podcast are not necessarily um, wrestling adjacent. But my primary podcasting interests, if I could pick anything in the world, would be wrestling adjacent. So I find myself much like that um, fabled, or not fabled, famed, it's a, it's a painting. I need to look up the name because I, I, I'm sure I've talked about this before on some episode of the show. But there's this painting that I've long felt to be sort of the symbol of Mr. Sensational Gino Vega's life. And it is a painting um, based on a scene in the Arthurian cycle, the story of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And it's a scene, there's, there's the whole gimmick during the story of the Knights of the Round Table where they all decide to go a-questing for the Holy Grail. 
the chalice that was used to uh, receive the blood of Jesus Christ when he was crucified on the cross. You know, they stick a spear in a side and blood came out. And someone held up, thoughtfully held up a cup and caught the blood. And that is the Holy Grail. And I can't remember off the top of my head why they're looking for the Holy Grail or who had it before, but they're out, they're out there looking for the Holy Grail. It's neither here nor there. There's an Indiana Jones movie about this too, right? But we're not going to go down this rabbit hole. I'm sure, sure some uh, um, factoid Mary out there can, can uh, correct all this for me. But uh, we're, we're painting with broad strokes. We're, we're being impressionistic here. But anyway, there's this painting, and during the Grail quest, if memory serves correctly... Sir Lancelot was the first knight to locate the chapel in which the Grail lay. But Sir Lancelot was forbade access to the chapel due to his shortcomings and imperfections in life. In his case, it's that he was having an affair with the queen, Queen Guinevere. So although he was the knight that had the wherewithal to find the Grail, he could not access it. He had to look on it, upon it, from a remove, never never to really be in there for real. Um, then meanwhile, I think his perfect son, Galahad, who's like the more boring version, it's, it's like Lancelot without anything that makes him interesting. Galahad found the grail and was like sucked up into the heavens, if I recall the story. But um, there's a painting of uh, Sir Lancelot just looking kind of defeated and bummed out and sitting outside of the chapel and this scary-looking angel is just, like, shaking his finger at him and not letting him inside. And that's, to me, that's that's the, the Mr. Sensei. If I was going to get a tattoo, I think I'd get a tattoo of that uh, painting. Maybe on my face. No, I wouldn't do that. But, you know, it, I, I've always felt much kinship to that um, painting because I feel oftentimes at life I've um, just kind of, like, I've been in the wrong place at the right, wrong time and, like, been right at the precipice of something but haven't quite gotten to get there. Um, and just kind of had to deal with like always being at a remove, being an arm's length from, but not even, but, but, but then this is what makes you think about it. I'm at an arm's length from where I convince myself or think maybe I want to be, but do I really want to be there? Is there a reason why I'm at an arm's length? Am I, should I actually appreciate where I am instead of where I think I need to be? But that's neither here nor there. Um, we're back to what I was trying to talk about, um, yeah, in a perfect world, I'd be a wrestling podcaster, but that is not the the um, hand that life has dealt. And I've actually, just because of various factors, become less and less interested in wrestling anyway as life has gone on. It's one of those things like, you know, you get old and you see the same thing over and over again. And that which once uh, was near and dear becomes kind of like, eh, I, I can't find the time to be as up and excited for it anymore. But back to the point of this whole tangent. I gave you the wrestling warning because there's a professional wrestler who goes by the name of Conan. K-O-N-N-A-N. He was a favorite of Mr. Sensational Gino Vegas when Mr. Sensational Gino Vega was in his early 20s. K-Dog was running wild in WCW, which was the wrestling company of choice that I watched back then. It was, I was a big big WCW fan. Uh, loved K-Dog. Um, Conan. He, he, don't let the name fool you. He's not like a barbarian swords and sorcery guy. He's, like a, a, uh, he's a Cuban guy pretending to be Mexican. And um, he got over huge in Mexico. 
And then he came here to uh, the U.S. and had some time in WCW. And he kind of played like, oh, hey, what's up, Holmes? Yeah, Odele Vato, ASA, that kind of thing. Um, but humorously was Cuban, which I, I'm, I'm sure there are some out there that, that, that uh, Cuban, Mexican, it's all the same. But it's, trust me, it's very different. But uh, K-Dog, Conan... You know, he's long since retired from the in-ring game, but he's still out there. You'll hear him on podcasts now and then. And for some reason, he oftentimes talks about this incident in um, WCW where they had this ill-conceived character that was like a wrestling mummy, and it was called a Yeti. Because Yeti is like an abominable snowman, right? Or it's kind of like a mummified version of an abominable snowman. It's, it's basically like a, a Yeti is like a Nepalese monster, right? Something like that. Himalayan monster. Um, but K Dog Conan, whenever he's telling the story uh, about the Yeti in uh, WCW, he refers to it as the Yeti. Oh yeah, so then they had the Yeti. The Yeti came in, bro. Then they had the Yeti. So this is a very long, roundabout, and Gino Vegan way of me trying to get to the point that the next iteration up from the blue snowball microphone, I believe. I believe. I could even be wrong, but I believe is the blue Yeti microphone. You can start listening again if you don't like wrestling because the wrestling warning is over. Um, my dad had a blue Yeti microphone. And my dad died going on two years ago. And after he died, I would look at the blue Yeti microphone on his desk in his room and think, kind of want to snag that. But I also don't want to be seen as sort of ghoulishly taking stuff. And it's kind of ironic because my mom was trying to get me to take all this stuff of his. It's like, I'm good. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't need that fanny pack. You know, it's, it's, it's all good in the hood. But, uh, but that blue Yeti microphone. But then one day, the blue Yeti microphone was gone. And I believe my brother took it. But more power to him because I believe he probably maybe even got it for my dad. Um, that, that was the other thing. I, I, I just, it, it was out of my sphere. I didn't feel, I didn't feel a rightful claim on the blue Yeti microphone. Um, so it's not like I'm not complaining that my brother took it. I'm just saying it, it, I had an eye on it, realized it was not mine. Much like Lancelot sat at a remove and then the more perfect younger version, my brother came in and took it and ascended to the heavens. Back to the subject of the blue snowball microphone itself. Um, so we bought this new home, Sensational Manor 2.5, the place where I record this show, the place where I live, the place where I spend just about every day of my life right now. And, you know, it was new construction, and there's a year-long home warranty on it. And you know when you buy a place like this, it's inevitable there's going to be some stuff that was done wrong. It's going to need to be fixed. And... Fortunately, most of that has been minor. It's just kind of a pain because it's like, although you have a year's warranty, it's not like anyone on the home builder's end is like chomping at the bit to come back and fix anything. So there's a lot of um, persistence involved with the home warranty, a lot of uh, constantly following up on things that haven't been done. And we've gotten pretty much everything done here. There's one lingering issue is that... Um, on the main living floor of the home, we uh, paid to have uh, some vinyl flooring installed. And there's something up with it where there's a, like one prominent place where a seam is coming apart. And there's a few other weird spots that uh, 
hint at the fact that there's something wrong either with the installation or with the material. And it's been this long back and forth because you put in the claim and then they have to come, have some a third party come in, come and inspect it to determine whether it's the fault of the installer, whether it's the fault of the manufacturer, blah, blah, blah. So we're still waiting on a verdict, waiting to find out what's happening. But that third party inspector came in and as he was looking around the house, he laid eyes on the blue snowball microphone and he said, whoa, that's one serious microphone. You work from home? And I said, why, yes. Why, yes, I do. I'm a world-renowned podcaster. My name is Mr. Sensational Gino Vega. Po- uh, <laughs> yeah, a world-renowned podcaster, bungling lines right and left. I almost said, yes, I'm Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. No, I'm Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcaster on the IC Robots Radio Network. But I didn't say any of that to him. I just said, oh, yeah, I used to have a job that uh, had Zoom, and I, I used it, which I did, but that's not why I had it. But I didn't want to... I guess I should have given him a business card or something. I should have tried to get him. We could have had the 11 of ones if I had converted him to a uh, listener. But once again, watching the grail from a remove. Um, what else do we have on tap on this very special episode 79? Oh, I've got an update. I've got an update for you. i got two updates for you. How about that? Update number one. Vegaverse update number one. I spoke... On last week's show, about advertising I was seeing locally, both physical advertising and social media advertising, for a IPA-themed amusement park opening right here in the heart of Napa. There was going to be like a 300-room hotel, acres and acres, rides powered from beer, like beer water slides, some roller coaster made of reclaimed keg materials, uh, three nightly fireworks shows, some hyper decibel loudest sound system ever with nightly concerts, uh, so on and so forth is what, what these people are promising. This is Voodoo Ranger IPA Action Park. And if you scratch the surface, you realize that Voodoo Ranger IPA is a beer made by New Belgium Brewing Company and that this all appears to be some wild viral marketing scheme by New Belgium. This is not stopping the hordes of troglodytes, as we branded them last uh, week. Hordes of troglodytes to think this is actually a serious proposal that um, is somehow going to be built. You know, they didn't get to weigh in on it, and it's already a done deal, and it's going to be built, and not, not understanding that um, there's just it, a project, the magnitude of what is being proposed, just could not possibly be built in a small town like Napa, there's such things as zoning laws. There's state environmental regulations. There's so much that goes into building something like this, and it's not going to fly in a infrastructure the size of ours. Think about um, the Oakland A's proposed uh, Oakland ballpark and how long that's taken and how difficult uh, that has been. And of course, it's hard to know how much difficulty has just been self-imposed by the A's who don't really want to build it. But that being said, a wand is not waved and this thing is not decided upon and built overnight. And that's in the major urban Bay Area. Napa is a small little cow town. Yes, we do have a booming tourist uh, thing going on here, but but it's still a small town, physically small town. But the troglodytes, oh, oh, it's being built. Oh, there's going to be three fireworks shows a night. Bro, there's not going to be one fireworks show a night. Don't worry. Um, In any case, I had told you last week that I played along and I sent some emails to the email address they provided saying I was very interested 
And I actually received a phone call last Friday from a woman in their marketing department asking me some questions and asking me if I would be interested in attending a focus group about the project this Thursday. Additionally, one of the emails they sent me mentioned the focus group and also mentioned that the focus group was going to pay $150 per person. Now, uh, this woman called me and it was very bizarre because I kept expecting like, okay, nudge, nudge, we're all in on the joke here. But she was acting as if this was a dead serious proposal, which is causing me to wonder, is this just, is their performance art in this viral marketing campaign so spot on that they're actually acting serious in these calls? Or are these people insane? I don't know. I would love to know. I want to know. I want to know what the punchline is here. What is the end game here? There's got to be one. And I can guarantee, as Stone Cold Steve Austin would say, the end game is not an actual Voodoo Ranger IPA action park. That's just not happening. Um, So, you know, I seem to be getting on well with the lady. She asked me how old I was. I told her I was 45. She popped huge for that, as they would say in the wrestling world, popping huge again. Should have played the wrestling warning again, but it's like, you know, Stone Cold says, that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. And the crowd's all, yay, Stone Cold. They popped huge for that. They popped huge. The big reaction from the crowd. So she was like, woo, yeah, 45, because I guess she had just turned 44. So, you know, we had a moment about that and how, like, the 40s, you know, everyone says it's horrible and you're old and decrepit, but in her experience, like the 40s have been pretty great. And I thought, you know, I agree. The 40s have been pretty great. I worry, my problem with the 40s is I'm, I, I have such a hard time, you know, doing that cliche being in the moment that I already see like, the, the 40s are awesome, but I'm already halfway through and what, what's happening on the other end? I guess I should just meditate and, and, and listen to the sound of one hand clapping and uh, kill the ego and be in the moment. But instead, I'm just going to worry about what's on the other side. Uh, But anyway, we seem to be getting on well, and then she was just like, okay, so these other people are going to let you know if you get accepted into the focus group, and uh, it's on Thursday, we'll be in touch. And now it's uh, Tuesday afternoon, and I haven't heard a dang thing. So I'm worrying that this story may come to an end without me being able to have a first row seat to the conclusion. Uh, And I I think it'd be wild to be at the focus group, too, because if, if... you're actually in person and there's different people there. I might get to encounter some troglodytes in the wild who are taking it seriously and up in arms about it. But uh, I kind of insinuated that I thought it was a joke and maybe that's what got me bounced. I was like, she's like, so are you strongly for or strongly against the proposed project? And I was like, well, I'm not clear how earnest the proposed project is, but I'm strongly for, um, cause I am, I mean, it, <laughs> I'd be strongly for it even if it could realistically be built, but I'm just weird like that. But uh, when everyone else is like, no, don't build, no, no crowds, I'm just like, let, let the madness ensue. Um, but the madness is not going to ensue. And I'm also worried that I'm not going to get to see what happens. But I don't know. Who knows? So we'll, I will keep you posted. Stay tuned. That's update number one. Update number two in the Vegaverse. I don't believe I've touched on this. Um, some episodes back, I did an episode about my brother's Ukrainian father-in-law and mother-in-law, Leonid and Natasha. Um, I think, yeah, I told their story, but then I gave a postscript about how they'd come out here to the United States and they were staying, not staying with my brother, but they were staying in an apartment near my brother in Berkeley, California. And, um, they were going to stay at least through the summer. 
And then my brother and his family are actually moving to New York in August. And so it was up in the air whether the parents were going to go back to Ukraine, to the city that they live in, or if they were going to follow my brother and his wife, their daughter, to uh, New York. All kind of up in the air. But then all of a sudden, very abruptly, they were just like, peace out, we're going home. And so on June 1st, they returned home. So the Ukrainian in-laws are, as we speak, back in Ukraine. And that was a very, very bombastic Ukrainian move to uh, just be like, eh, we're over it. We're going back. But I guess there are a lot of factors. You know, they, they were homesick. Their, their home is still there and intact and everything. I and mean, there's nothing like, there's no immediate conflict going on where they live. The, the only problem is, um, you know, there's still the occasional missile strike on the big city, the capital city of Kiev there. And um, in order for missiles to reach the capital city, they have to fly through airspace in the city, Vinitsa, that the in-laws live in. So those missiles set off air raid sirens because, you know, the air raid sirens can't determine like, oh, there's a missile flying through, but it's not going to stop here, even though it's not going to stop here. So it's kind of rattling, I guess, for the people who live there. I mean, uh, uh, duh, to constantly hear air raid sirens, even if it's not really about a specific and imminent threat. But, um, but they were homesick. They wanted to go home. They wanted to go back to their dog. Um... Uh, Everyone else in the family is still abroad, except for their son, who's still in town in Ukraine. But I guess they were running into static with their friends, too. Like, one couple that they're friends with aren't speaking to them right now, because I think the, some of the friends resented the fact that they bounced. Because if you were a true, true patriot to the cause, you would have stood your ground and stayed there. I don't know. I can't fault them for... Uh, since they had an option to leave, since they had relatives abroad, I certainly can't fault them for spending some time away to see how things shook out. But I can also see why people without that, those means, without those options might resent that. So hopefully everyone can, can uh, get together over some uh, stuffed cabbage, some borscht, some uh, dumplings, some uh, sala. That's like this uh, pork fat gimmick that uh, Ukrainian people eat. Some vodka shots and all will be forgiven, but we will see. But the Ukrainian relatives who I have talked about before, they're gone. They're back, back home. So, uh, Godspeed. And finally, we are going to close out this very special episode 79 by talking about the changing of the season. That is taking place over the last couple of weeks, next couple of weeks. Again, I, I can't remember, can't be bothered to remember or know when spring officially becomes summer. But in my mind, the end of the school year really is the gateway to summertime. And most of my friends' um, children um, have already finished school for the year. My kids have another week, two weeks, because we get a longer winter break here in Napa County, which extends the school year out a little bit longer. But so uh, the last few weeks have been just a, a wash of graduations and school endings that I've seen with my friends and then we're 
getting ready, having to go to different award ceremonies and this, that, and the third for our kids as their school year quickly comes to an end. Um, but it's interesting because I always notice there's always these signifiers of the, of the move to the summer for me. And uh, it has very much to do with feelings and smells. The air takes on that summertime hue and everything starts to smell in such a way. The combination of kind of like the, the, uh, the grass that's out there, the, whatever is happening with the various trees and brush. Um, reminds me of two distinct things that I associate with the summertime. One of those things is an institution that exists in Santa Rosa, California, where I lived as a kid. Something called Camp Watom. Camp Watom is a uh, city recreation and parks program. It's a summer day camp um, that you can sign up for. Um, and each session is a week long. You go during the day, Monday through Thursday, and then Thursday night is an overnighter, and you sleep outside with your group. You know, you, there's a, a horde of kids for every week, and they get divvied up into, into smaller groups run by a counselor. Um, and each week is themed. Like, I remember the first one I ever went to as a, as a kid was it was like Robin Hood week, so we did like archery and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, you spend the night, the last night, and it's, it's all uh, great fun, I guess. But I, I did it for most of the summers that I lived in Santa Rosa as a kid. And then for one year, I um, did this program that they have. Each group, there's a counselor, there's a counselor's aide, and then there's what's called a CIT, a counselor in training. And the counselor in training is a kid who's too old to be like a part of the program anymore, but not old enough to be working as a, at a paid job. So it's like a volunteer thing where you get experience, and then you can come back the next summer ostensibly and be a... Uh, uh, counselor's aide. I never made it that far. Um, Camp Watom is a beloved thing by many Santa Rosans who participate in the program, and I totally understand why. I'm not attempting to troglodyte Camp Watom uh, in any way, shape, or form. I myself always had mixed feelings about it because, on one hand, I love the feeling of being there in that I associated it with that summertime. And I, like I was saying, with the change of the season... Summertime smells like Camp Watom to me because it's whatever the combination of foliage and stuff going on and the pollen and the air and whatnot in the Howarth Park in Santa Rosa, California, where Camp Watom takes place. Whenever I smell that smell, and there's similar smells going on here in Napa, I think, summertime, Camp Watom, no school, Robin Hood, freedom. So that part was very positive. The less positive part is um, Santa Rosa, I think was an idyllic place to grow up. I mean, speaking very broadly because everyone has their own experiences, but it was a more idyllic place to grow up as a child if you spent your entire childhood there. If you did not uh, come on stage in media res, as they would say in Latin, in the middle of things. Um, I showed up the last month of third grade to Santa Rosa, and I never quite was able to find my footing because all the kids already all seemed to know each other and they all came from families that, that had ties to the community. Their parents owned some store that everyone went to or they, you know, or the doctor that everyone visited or they, they were the lawyer that sued people for, uh, pe you know, we weren't that. We were just kind of this, sh this schmo family showing up in the middle of things. I was this dopey kid that never really quite, again, 
I sat there watching the chapel from an arm's length, from a remove. My brother, interestingly, who was five years younger than me and started kindergarten uh, in Santa Rosa, seemed, I mean, I'm speaking for him, he could speak for himself, but he seemed to have an easier transition into Santa Rosa life. He seemed to have uh, friends that were more franchised, that were more part of the the Santa Rosa culture, the Santa Rosa community. Um, But uh, I, I never felt quite that same way. So while I did enjoy aspects of Camp Watam, I enjoyed those aspects while I sat there kind of broodingly by myself, usually getting shoved or kicked um, by the other children that recognize one another as part of the Borg. And I had not yet been properly assimilated into the Borg. Um, I did. Ha- I, I can't say that I did not meet people at Camp Watam, that it was all not fun and games, because uh, in particular, Twitter user at msilver, who uh, Icy Robots and I are currently playing a Friday morning uh, Dungeons and Dragons game with. Um, I met him at Camp Watam. He, he, in my memory, I'm sure it wasn't quite like this, but in my memory, he kind of emerged out of some shrubs and started talking to me. And uh, I've known him ever since. Um, but it's kind of appropriate, I guess, because he's the type of person I hadn't spoken to him in years leading up to this role-playing game, this D&D game starting over the last couple of weeks. And he's one of those uh, types of individuals who you may not talk to him for years, but when you do run into him again, it's essentially like he just emerges from the shrubs and treats you like, you know, you just pick up the conversation from like the last time you spoke, which is could be yesterday, could be 10 years ago. I don't know. Very stable, consistent presence in the world, that at M. Silver. Um, but yes, I met M. Silver at uh, Camp Watam. So not, not it wasn't like everyone there was uh, walled off and belligerent. But I just, you know, it was, like, it was a different feeling coming into it without really knowing what was going on, without having that inside track. At the same time, every year when I smell that smell, it uh, brings me to that summery state of mind. Um, similarly, every time I smell that smell, every time I feel that summer air, it brings me to another place, a place that predated Camp Watam. It brings me to the summer of 1983, when I would have been, let's see, 76 to 77, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82. I would have been about to turn seven. I'd be six going on seven. Um, the summer of 83, when um, the film Return of the Jedi was released in theaters. And I don't think... Scratch that. It's one of three things that I've been the most excited for ever in my life. And it's excited in that sort of childlike way that can't be recreated once you've been around the block a few times. Um, so it's not like I expect anything else to ever live up to these things. And these things are very trivial, but it's just because of being in that formative state, that primordial ooze state of, of, of trying to form yourself in to a grown person. You can have these sort of just overwhelmingly exciting feelings of anticipation for incredibly mundane things. Um, So one of those things was that summer when uh, Return of the Jedi was coming out. And I was familiar with Star Wars at this point. I had for years been playing with the Kenner action figures because it was really the first toys I ever... Tonka trucks and like little construction worker figures, uh, Fisher-Price little people, Fisher-Price adventure people... Kenner Star Wars. Those, those, that was my entree into toys as a youth. Uh, the first Star Wars action figure I ever got was the Obi-Wan Kenobi, the, the, the OG Obi-Wan Kenobi figure, and that would have had to have been when I was like three or four. Um, so I was familiar with the Star Wars franchise, 
But Jedi was the first of the films to actually come out into the theater when I was sentient enough and steeped enough in Star Wars to know what was happening. Uh, Empire and the original Star Wars, I think I saw in theaters like on the re-release circuit. Um, but I was not cognizant of them being released at the time. Jedi was the first one where I had that just overwhelming anticipation that this new movie is coming down the pike. I'm going to see it. I have the storybook. I have the Admiral Akbar figure that I sent away with for proofs of purchase. Um, I, I've been watching the commercials endlessly. I don't even know what Endor is, but I'm recreating it in my backyard. And of course the movie, as these things tend to, did not quite live up to everything I had expected. I expected Admiral Akbar to be a major player. Um, and as we all know, he's in it for like about 20 seconds. But um, very fond feelings of that anticipation for Jedi. The other two things that were in that um, uh, same sphere of excitement when I was a youth were when I sent away for the Boba Fett action figure with proofs of purchase. That was the first, first thing I ever sent away for in the mail. And it felt like I waited 10 years. And then finally one day it showed up. That was beyond excitement. And that figure was just like, may as well have been some sort of like uh, demigod, idol, deity thing that an entire tribe could have prayed to. That's how it felt to me. Um, and then the third thing that I was ever as excited for was... Um, receiving the Zartan action figure, the G.I. Joe Zartan action figure for one of those early birthdays because the thing changed color, for God's sake, and had a mask, a disguised face that you could take on and off, and that was just beyond the pale for 1980-whatever year that was. Engineer Nerd, get on it and uh, remind me. But um, anyway, yeah, so uh, people badmouth Jedi. Isn't that the one of those original three that people don't like? I love, I loved that one. Just, but it was because of the age I was at, the fact that I saw it when it came out, the fact that I anticipated it coming out. So long live Return of the Jedi. Not to be a troglodyte, because I more power to you if you love those movies. I don't really like any of the Star Wars movies anymore, but I will always remember the fond feelings I had for Jedi in the day when it came out. Um, what was the point of all this? Oh, summer is here. I, every day I'm walking out of my house and I feel like I'm both simultaneously at Camp Watam and about to watch Return of the Jedi for the first time, clutching the um, Endor version of the Stormtrooper. You know, the Endor biker Stormtrooper? I had that guy too. But to close, what is the point of all this? I guess the point that I'm trying to say, the point that I'm trying to get to here is summer's upon us and summer's a season brings very strong feelings to me, very strong memories. It used to be Far and away, hands down, my favorite time of the year. But I think that that has changed. In fact, I know that that has changed. And it changed for me probably a good, oh, probably as long as my oldest child has been alive, so at least 17 years. It probably changed about 20 years ago. Because I think part of the appeal to summer early on was just the fact that when you're a child and you're in school, you're faced with three months, more or less, give or take, off. And that is just like a lifetime. And so that just, that catapulted summer into this exalted state when I was young that nothing else could really touch. But when you're older, you don't get that time off. And so summer, while still holding fond memories for me, and it's still fun to be on certain nights, it's light out late, you can be outside, and it's all nice and warm out. At the same time, you're never really that carefree spirit just kicking back eating a popsicle in an inner tube ever again you know you're now the adult cleaning up the popsicle wrappers and the popsicle sticks that are left all over the floor after the fact so i think it's safe to say that summer has not only been knocked down to second place for me it's knocked down to third place 
because winter is my absolute favorite season because I love the holiday season and that season persists even as an adult. Followed by fall because fall is the lead up to the holiday season and now summer and third place. Spring, you're neither here nor there. I don't know what to tell you. Sorry, I'm gonna troglodyte spring full blast. Spring, who needs spring? Down with spring, how dare spring? And with that, we've gone way too long. I'm going to bid you adieu and say, until next time, it's me, it's me, it's Mr. Sensational Gino V, and I am signing off. Dirty black sun